A happy holiday spirit fills the evening. We still have several hours before midnight here in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. It's beautiful, but I must say, having the whole family here together on this New Year's Eve is even more beautiful. You know, dear, I think you're right. Well, of course she is. Now is the time. Now is the best time. Now is the best time of your life. If this concludes your visit to the Walt Disney World Resort, we hope you've had a wonderful time and will return home safely. W. Your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and I want to thank you for tuning in again this week. This is show number 47 for the week of December 30th, the very last week of 2007. So it's only appropriate that during my roundtable discussion with Jeff Pepper and Tim Foster we take this opportunity to look back at 2007 and the news, events, announcements, and other noteworthy happenings at Walt Disney World. We'll also look ahead to 2008, from what we're most looking forward to experiencing and what rumors might just come true. It's an interesting retrospective and fun speculation as to what's ahead. Eric Hollister will also announce the winner of our latest Walt Disney World Half Marathon Challenge Contest and the 13th and final challenge to test your Walt Disney World knowledge. So, for the last time in 2007, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Well, hello there, WDW Radio Show listeners. This is Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com, and it's time to update everyone on the winner for challenge number 12 in our WDW Half Marathon Challenge Series. We want to thank Jeff Pepper from 2719Hyperion.com for his help in our previous challenge. For those of you wondering where those photos came from, I'm going to go over the answers here real quickly, but and we'll also post them on Geomouse.com. The first photo was taken in the courtyard of the Hollywood Tower of Terror over there in the Disney Hollywood Studios. Photo number two was Pete's Garage in Toontown at the Magic Kingdom. Three's photo was taken from the Pangani Trail in the Animal Kingdom. And finally, the fourth photo was taken from the Northwest Mercantile over in the O Canada Pavilion at Epcot. We went ahead and pulled everyone together, and all those correct answers went into a pot. We went ahead and pulled a name, and the winner for mile marker number 12 is James Desern, and he chose to name mile number 12 as Are We There Yet? So congratulations to James. He will win a Walt Disney World Trivia Books Volumes 1 and 2 signed by Lou Mangello, both DisneyWorldTrivia.com trading pin and lanyard, as well as a DisneyWorldTrivia.com t-shirt. The Disney Deluxe Edition DVD game, Seen It, also a certificate of dedication for mile marker number 12, which again will be called Are We There Yet? James will also be entered into our grand prize drawing, which will occur after the marathon. And finally, Geomouse.com will donate $100 to the Dream Team Project. So, congratulations again to James for mile marker number 12, Are We There Yet? Stay tuned. Later in the episode, we will come to you with the final in our challenge series, Mile Marker Number 13's Challenge. So we're going to send it back to Lou Mangello and the WDW Radio Show.
As 2007 comes to a close, I find myself taking the time to look back at what has been an exciting and eventful and really wonderful 2007. And for me personally, 2007 was a memorable year in so many ways. And a big part of it is because of the show and what it's meant to me from the very beginning. It's brought me new friendships and lasting memories and the opportunity to share my passion for more than just a physical place, but something I think that's more akin to a philosophy about family and friendship and just having wholesome fun being shared by everybody. So 2007 was an historic year for the Disney company and more specifically in and around Walt Disney World and from new attractions to new resorts, from wishes being granted to old classics getting new life, it truly was a year of a million dreams. So what I wanted to do was take a look back at 2007. I want to thank all the listeners who wrote in to me and suggested that we do this, including guys like Dave Kipp. He made the suggestion as well. Also sent me a PowerPoint presentation, which I appreciate taking the time to, to put together. But what I also wanted to do was get some additional perspectives and opinions on the, this kind of year in review. So I invited in my always special guest, Jeff Pepper, as well as author, webmaster and recurring guest Tim Foster to this week's show for a sort of mini roundtable discussion about what we saw in 2007 and what's ahead for 2008. So gentlemen, and I use that term loosely, welcome. Hey, Lou. So guys, what I thought we would do was sort of take a, a look back on some of the top stories of 2007, and we'll talk maybe some more about some of the, the other smaller stories. These, these are really in no specific order, and um, as I'm sure as these things go, we won't find ourselves jumping around um, from, from here to there. So um, before we get started, what do you say, what do you guys think as a whole, kind of looking back at 2007 um are there certain things what's the one thing maybe you guys can help lead this what's the one thing that sticks out in your mind is really one of the most memorable moments or memorable news stories jeff go ahead you first and then tim i would have to say the um the celebration of epcot's uh 25th anniversary because it was really significant in bringing together um disney fans and enthusiasts with the um management of the parks and what had been announced in February as something that was not going to happen, you know, so many months later did happen and it happened in a big way. And it really, it acknowledged Epcot, but it also acknowledged the, the fan community, the Disney online community, and basically that your voices are heard and that the company is listening to you. I agree with I, you. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously Epcot's 25th is big news too. I think for a, a from a fan's point of view though, and some that was really nice for me was the refurb of the Haunted Mansion, which I think when we heard about it, there might have been a little nervousness about what was going to happen. But as we're going to talk about in a little bit, I'm sure, they really did an outstanding job with it. I was really happy with it. And um, pretty significant for one of the classic attractions to do something like that. And, and they really pulled it off. It's pretty significant. Well, why don't we just take those one and two? Because like I said, I'm really not going to put these, I'm not going to try and rank these in any specific order because I think that it is very, very subjective because what I felt was the most significant thing was neither one of those two, believe it or not. But we'll take um, Jeff Epcot's 25th and maybe kind of put in there as well um, everything that kind of went along with it, including the removal of the wand from Spaceship Earth because it all kind of happened around the same time. And I agree with you. I, I think... Epcot's 25th was significant for so many reasons, not just for the celebration of the park's anniversary, but 
how Disney chose to celebrate it with the guests and things like what that 16-year-old Adam Roth did by putting together Celebration 25, bringing together the Disney community with Disney, you know, in, in an official capacity, giving us the opportunity to come to the park and celebrate with them uh, and really kind of embody what that whole uh, 25 years, you know, I'm not sure I'm articulating it well, but really bringing together that that spirit of Epcot. And I, and, and I guess it's conditional to the fact that, or relative to the fact that we were there. So it is that much more <laughs> significant for us um, because it was a very almost personal situation. It was very much to the people that did attend that day. Um, and it's hard to kind of relate the kind of energy and emotion to somebody who wasn't. And so in that regard, if you weren't there, it, it kind of, we probably, people are saying, are you sure that's really that big a deal? But it was, it, it really was. And I, as I said, it's, it just goes back to the fact that um, we never really had a grasp of whether our voices are heard out here often times. And in this case, it really was. And the fact that Jim McPhee really directly communicated with with Adam and with the, the fan community as a whole that day was very, very significant. Yeah, I agree. And he was, he was, it was unprecedented in the fact that he was so accessible to not only Adam, but to the guests that were there as well. Yeah, it's just, it was amazing because it, even when the day ended um, and we had watched the Illumination fireworks that had the, the Epcot 25 tag on the end of them, Jim came out and spoke to us and spent some time with us for a few minutes again. And that just, it really meant a lot. It really meant a lot to all of us. Well, the event was, was so, so special for so many different reasons. And like you said, you talked about illuminations at the end and the tag, but it was that retro music. And like I said, the wand being off Spaceship Earth and all the different things they did to kind of pay homage to 25 years, including the opening of the exhibit, which Epcot fans and Epcot purists just just loved. And it really was a singular moment in history that I think will never happen again. But, you know, this, this kind of celebration is still sort of going on to a certain degree. Yeah, it was great. Tim, I what think a- for, um, I wasn't there myself that day, although a friend of mine was there and he did get me an Epcot 25 pin, which I will cherish for the rest of my days. But I think the, the significant thing for the 25th anniversary is just the, the validation of Epcot in that it's so different from any other theme park. And it's actually my favorite of all the parks there by far. I could spend every day there. Um, but particularly in the early days before you had the thrill rides and stuff that came later. Uh, it, it was just a, a totally different take on the park. Of course, the evolution of the city of tomorrow, which never came to be, but um, but the fact that Epcot's still here 25 years later and doing great, I think just validates to the world that this this is a, a unique place and a, and a wonderful place to be. And it's not just a, a, a you know, a world showcase and it's educational and it's boring and all that kind of stuff that there's there's a lot of people that do like it and love it and and uh, the fact that it's around 25 years just speaks volumes yeah i think it definitely sort of brought attention to the park again and, and a revitalization of the park and to that end we're talking about jeff like you you made allusion to the the fact that disney does listen to the guests whether it be online or the people that that talk to cast members or go to guest relations and Along those same lines, Tim, you made reference to the fact that guests were sort of nervous about, 
you're the thing that you mentioned on the list, and that was the Haunted Mansion refurb. And we talk about purism and not wanting to mess with a classic attraction and not knowing what's going to happen. I know there was a lot of trepidation on many people's parts when the Haunted Mansion went down in the middle of the summer for what was obviously a very, very extensive rehab. And tell me about what you thought of the rehab are and, and the mansion now. Well, I know, I guess a little before that, we went through the same thing with Pirates of the Caribbean, where we also had the same fear of what are they going to do to our, our classic attraction? And I think for the most part, everyone agrees they did a really good job with that. But I was a little nervous with the Haunted Mansion. I wasn't sure they would what they would do with it. But... Um, it's seeing what they have done was just incredible. I think the thing, I think they've pretty much just added to everything. They really didn't take away from too much, except the bride ring, which isn't there anymore. I know it wasn't really the bride's ring, but at least it put that story to rest since there isn't the bride ring there anymore to look at and wonder if that's really what we think it is. But uh, I think the new rooms are incredible, especially the, the MC Escher-like room, which is just outstanding. Um, but everyone I talk to who has written it are unanimous in their praise for it. And I, it's, it's good to hear because sometimes when Disney does do the refurbishments, Journey into Imagination, for example, we're not <laughs> thrilled with the results and we wish it could go back and why would you mess with a classic and so forth. But in this case, they, what they did, um, updating when they, things they needed to update but didn't really change the feel and the... The, the ambiance of the place, and, and it's it's even better than it was before. So, I agree. In that, my opinion. <laughs> well, no, I, I agree because I think, yeah. like you said, I think you know there was a resounding approval for what was done in the mansion. I know when Pirates opened up, I, I thought it was great. I, I liked the the additions. I was happy that what was classic about the attraction didn't change, even with the addition of Captain Jack Sparrow. But when I walked out of the haunted mansion, I was blown away by the updates both the, the auditory and the visual updates from the stretching room to Leota to, like you said, the, the staircase. It was just brighter. Um, it added to the storyline, which I like, adding you know the name of Constance the Bride and really giving it much more uh, of a deeper, richer story. Um, it was freshened up, but it wasn't changed. And what made it a classic attraction wasn't lost at all. It was just, it, yeah. was, it, was, it was truly plussed. And that's the kind of way that, you know, Disney's setting the bar for when they do a refurb like that, what we're now going to come to expect. Jeff, what, what do you think of the mansion? I I kind of was not nervous about it, that it was going to get screwed up or messed up or anything like that. I kind of went in with just very low expectations in that when they, when they typically do work on classic attractions, when we hear about something going on with Small World or something going on with Space Mountain, where it's you know shut down for a short amount of time or whatever, I kind of just expected just a general cleaning up. I thought the audio would be cleaned up and then, you know, we got word that they were going to do the one room change, but I really sort of went in with not negative expectations, but just expectations that it wasn't going to be a whole lot different. And that's what really just blew my mind is when we, when I wrote it for the first time, it was so enhanced that the the differences were very noticeable. They were very cool. It's kind of just, you know, what you guys have all covered, but just even the very simple things like the enhancements to the, uh, the wallpaper where the kind of the wallpaper extended out into animations um, just little things like that, the the um, the, the paintings that um, that have the effect with the storm, lightning, and everything like that. 
I just wasn't expecting so much of that type of thing. I, I thought it was just going to be more of a cleaning up and maybe the one extra scene, and it ended up being so, so much more, and that's what was really the pleasant surprise about it. I agree. I have absolutely no complaints about the mansion. Any of the complaints that we had beforehand, whether it was the audio being inaudible or being out of sync, were resolved, and things that the Imagineers did to add. And like you said, one of my favorite of all the enhancements is something simple, and that was the eyes and the wallpaper and the sound of the of the room stretching. Simple little things that really just brought it to the next level. Yeah, I had the good fortune of having my doom buggy come to a complete halt right in front of the wallpaper, which was fun. <laughs> Me and my nephew were counting all the eyeballs and watching them, and it was great. I think with the Haunted Mansion, the thing is it really was an enhancement and, and not a total change, which... Which is good to see for the for the attractions that you love so much. Of course, all our eyes are focused on Spaceship Earth now and hoping that things go similarly there, which we'll see. But yeah, but and- the Haunted Mansion, thumbs up from everybody so far, which is good, which is really great. I agree. And, and I kind of am leaving, leaving Epcot, uh, I'm sorry, Spaceship Earth off of this list because it officially hasn't opened yet, although many of us had had a chance to see it for soft openings. I, I, I insist on for myself refraining from giving my opinion till I see it because I just want to be fair to the Imagineers as well as the people who are listening who may not have seen it before but that actually is going to bring me to something else on the list because we're talking about things like the refurb of the Haunted Mansion and the refurbishment of singular attractions well one of the other notable things that took place I think in 2007 was a change to a pavilion as a whole and we're, we're going to go back to Epcot where we have the Living Seas, this this kind of classic pavilion, transforming into the seas with Nemo and friends. Yeah, the Living Seas was one of my was actually one of my. I say every attraction there is my favorite attraction, but it was it was one of my favorite attractions back in the day, back when you actually could ride through it and see the aquarium. And um, when that went away, we really missed that. Uh, but seeing the new Seas with Nemo and Friends with the new ride through, which is is outstanding. It, uh, it's short, but I think it really captures the magic of the Finding Nemo film, and uh, it, it's it's popular because the lines there are growing. I've noticed that, but it, it does make the whole experience a lot more fun, um, and I, I think it adds a whole lot. I will say I do I do miss the old film that you used to see when you go in with the, it rained and it rained and it rained and still I, oddly enough that puts a warm feeling in my heart even though it's cold and wet and damp and rainy but um, but that being said I, I do really like the new attraction portion of, uh, of the pavilion and again I think they did a really good job even even to the point where out front you have the seagulls periodically going mine 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 and uh, it puts a smile on everybody's face as they walk by. Um, so, uh, thumbs up in my book. I had, uh, really enjoyed it when I saw it. Well, Jeff, before you say anything, Tim, I want to ask you, because you talked your st- about you being such a fan of Epcot and, and loving the park for so many years. And Jeff and I spoke about this at length on the show before about how this is really what sort of the hallmark is now for uh, the reference point, I should say, of people talking about the addition of characters to Epcot and bringing characters into the pavilion and Epcot sort of losing maybe some of that earlier focus on discovery and education and technology. And now we have a pavilion based on a, a, a Disney Pixar film 
which obviously is centered around characters. Now, how do you feel as sort of the, the big Epcot fan about maybe this the beginning of a trend or, or these kind of things starting to happen? Uh, well, that's a good question because, yes, the, pu- the purist in me at Epcot might frown on that. Although, I, I guess that notion of no characters being in Epcot never made a whole lot of sense to me. But um, as far as Nemo goes, though, I like I like the fact that with that pavilion, though, they kept the the basic spirit of it okay it's it's still you ride through then you're in a pavilion with interactive stations and you can walk through the aquarium and see things it's not like they took it out and put in a triple looping roller coaster thrill ride and 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 change the whole idea of it and i think if they're bringing in characters it's okay it's in my mind as long as they're keeping the element of discovery and interactiveness uh to the park and i think even with mission space and test track even though i miss horizons and world of motion you know they do they do keep a certain amount of uh, discovery and interaction with the pavilions they have the or the the interactive kiosk at the end that they have which is nice but uh, so we'll see so far so good it doesn't bother me just as donald duck appearing in world showcase uh, didn't didn't bother me a whole lot either but probably some purists that upset but it's fine by me so far because they're, they're doing a good job with it so now, Jeff, do you think that this is the beginning of a trend that we're starting to see towards making Epcot more, not kid-friendly, but almost more appealing to ch- children uh, as it as it's you know been felt that it wasn't that way in the past? I I think there's still a lack of focus with Epcot. I think that wherever it's coming from, whether it's management or Imagineering, I still think they're not quite sure what to do. Um, you have Nemo and Friends being very specifically kind of a turn in another direction then you have basically spaceship earth kind of almost going back to the very themes of futurism and idealistic kind of views of the future and it's there's there's still kind of a disconnect there and i you know we've talked about it on the show and nemo and friends i i'm very disappointed in the overall result because as much as i love the dark ride and i agree with everybody that the ride itself is just excellent it's it's great it's very entertaining and i enjoyed doing it 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 is very disconnected from the rest of the pavilion and so much so that what concerns me is that when i visit this year when i visit it it seems that so many people literally get off the ride and walk right out of the pavilion now it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people lingering going up to the aquarium going up and where sea base alpha really sort of all was very very cohesive theme and the pavilion was very integrated. It's just It just seems like there's sort of part A and part B now. And that's the only thing that kind of concerns me about it is that it's not as spectacular a pavilion as it used to be because the ride has become the centerpiece rather than the aquarium itself. And the aquarium itself is something that's truly, truly spectacular. It's really one of Epcot's sort of crowning achievements. And it's sort of now kind of taken a secondary status to, to the attraction. Um, yeah. But as to, to answer your question, um, as Tim just said as well, you, you know, it's I'm not a purist in or anti-character by any means because you know what a huge fan I am of uh, the Caballeros in Mexico. I, I just love that. I think it was integrated well. It fit. It there was there was a connection there to early Disney history. So it's it's sort of context, but I I don't know. I don't I don't think there's an indication one way or the other. I, if you told me a year from now what what is Future World going to look like, I really don't. Don't, I couldn't even begin to speculate because I'm not sure where they are taking it.
I guess if we see Buzz Lightyear in Spaceship Earth, we'll know something's up. <laughs> I do actually. I do get the sense too, and and I do love. I do actually like the the Seas Pavilion, but uh, you actually touched on something. I did get did get a sense of that looking back on it. That as as you get off the ride and go into the pavilion, there's a. It's an effort to go look at the aquarium because now you have to go upstairs and 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 I. I do get the sense that people do kind of walking through. They might go see Turtle Talk with Crush and buy some things, but um, you might be right in the sense that there might be a little disconnect with the aquarium itself now, because um, it's 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 a little harder to get to, and it's not like I said, it's not a straight shot from the ride to the aquarium to make an effort to do it. But but I do take everybody I I bring, I take them upstairs and show them the hidden Mickey's on the floor, and then they see the sharks. Like, wow, so they'll walk around and see it. So I'm doing my part. I'm trying. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, the, the, the seas right now is a good example of one of those pavilions. And this is, the, 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 you know, what I try and do on the show is tell people that they need to not just walk through or walk past. They need to take the time and explore and interact with their environment. And you need to take the time to go upstairs and see some of the other things other than just ride the rides and hit hit what ne- what's next. Um, and, you know, and I wonder, were these changes made out of a feeling of necessity? Was it a marketing thing? Was it to sell merchandise? Or was it maybe in response to Disney, like we said before, listening to guests? Or, or guests saying, you know what? There's not enough for my kids to do here. There's not enough for my kids to, to connect with here. They need those characters. They need those kind of things in order to you know, ha- have a better understanding of what this park is all about, as opposed to being begging to have them parents bring them back to the Magic Kingdom. I know at the Living Seas, though, back in its original incarnation, as much as I loved it my wife loved it, we did hear that a lot, that people found that pavilion on the boring side, if you really weren't into fish or, or anything like that. And uh, some people didn't really care for the movie, and the ride was short, and then you go out. So, uh, you know, it's just maybe a matter of addressing that. But uh, Plus all those people that got the bends from riding the hydrolators. There was a lot to it that really... <laughs> <laughs> I, my ears popped on that thing every time. I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, it was scary. It was scary. But, <laughs> you, you know, we're talking about focus of uh, of not only pavilions, but maybe theme parks as a whole. And that maybe will bring me to one of my next things. Because one of the other things that happened in 2007 were not necessarily events that took place, but some announcements. And I think one of the big announcements was the change in the nomenclature from the Disney MGM Studios to Disney's Hollywood Studios. And I'm wondering, what do you guys think, not only about the name change, but is this the beginning of a change of focus and direction for a park that has, just by virtue of what's happened with the closing of the studios themselves, been forced to change direction? Jeff, what do you say you go first? Yeah, I'm curious as to where the studios are going to go. It seems like in, in the online community, that's where all the speculation and kind of rumors and kind of where people are sort of looking for, you know, what's going to happen next. And, you know, with the name change, what I'm really interested to see is if it's going to remain relatively focused or even focused to some degree on the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, it, they're, they're calling it Disney's Hollywood Studios, and it's going to be about, you know, the golden age of Hollywood still much the way Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard are themed. But more and more, there's been this whittling down of the old classic movies. Um, really, anymore, the great movie ride is sort of the last haven for anything that's themed to classic movies. And I'm just curious if the company just feels, with the acquisition of Pixar, with just the kind of the breadth of their own 
film library if they really just want to take the focus away of the studios from sort of everybody else and Disney, you know, being MGM, the MGM properties, Wizard of Oz, things like that, which were when the when studios opened in 89, you had a very strong integration of Disney plus a lot of other material that they had licensed in. Now it's kind of I just kind of wonder if the focus is going to just shift towards almost exclusively Disney and Pixar product. Tim? Yeah, one of the things I always lamented was the leaving of the animators and the uh, the, the animation tour was always my, one of my favorite things to to do. And of course, it's not the same as it is anymore. But you just wonder nowadays if uh, the general public just sees the studios, however they're called, as not what it is, a celebration of Hollywood and movies, but that's where Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower of Terror are. And then and, and that'd be about it. So... So in that case, yeah, I am curious if it's just going to become a progression of new rides and, and so forth. Of course, Toy Story Mania will be fun. Uh, it, it looks like Pixar will be maybe leading force or the the main um, the property that we'll see there, which makes sense, and that's that's good, I think, for all us Pixar fans, of which there are many out there. But uh, yeah, I'm curious myself to see where it's going to be heading. And I, for one, am a big fan of the great movie ride, so. Hopefully we'll hang on to that. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Lucas properties. That's, again, another area where people mm. are doing a lot of you know speculation. But we do know that a Star, War, or Star Tours 2.0 is in the works. We know that some, the potential for something to happen with Indiana Jones or something new happening with Indiana Jones because of the new film coming out this summer is going to potentially play into things. So there's a lot of... I think there's a lot that can happen in the theater, in FGM Studios, I'm sorry. There's a lot that can happen in terms of those properties, in terms of Pixar, because clearly there are plans beyond Toy Story Mania for the Pixar Place area of the park. So there, I think, I think Lou, you and I talked about it on a recent show where together, we, we just mentioned that it's, we feel like going into January when they do the press event, that we're wondering if, if all the big news is going to be studio related. Well, you know, while, while I think you are going to see, obviously, a lot more Pixar, and I almost hate to call it Pixar because it almost has a negative connotation to some people saying, well, it's not Disney. And I think we forget sometimes that Pixar now is Disney. They are one and the same. It's just a division of the company. And I don't think bringing the characters and attractions in is a bad thing. But I, I'm starting to wonder if the designation of Hollywood in the name was a very deliberate choice not just to get MGM out but to focus more not just on the movies or or Disney films but also the television properties and the music and Disney being so prevalent in the theater I mean look what they're doing in New York with their stage shows and what they're doing on television and what they're also bringing into the studios with their Playhouse Disney lineup, which has just been become immensely popular and introduced a new generation of kids to Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. And I know that might sound ridiculous, but it's true because there was no place for them really to see them other than in places like Playhouse Disney. And, and, you know, Daisy Duck has newfound popularity. I got, for some reason, I got a number of emails this week about Daisy Duck and, and people were specifically talking about how their kids were introduced to her only from Playhouse Disney. So... I think we're going to see, hopefully, more of a broader scope and focus. And Tim, like you said, oh, how I wish animation would come back to the studios. And that's something that's been rumored for a long time. I don't know if it's ever going to happen or not. We talk about John Lasser and his creative influence, wondering if that's going to do anything. But I'm looking forward to, and we'll talk about this later, what 2008 is going to bring by way of 
announcements and additions to the studios. Yeah, I just I do wonder with with the studios with all the at least as of now all the interactive things going away, the animation tour and and things like that, and the backlot tour being whittled down to what it was. You know, people really do think of it as just a theme park, whether it's themed on movies or spaceships or anything. It's just a place where rides are. So um, it'd be nice if. It, with the name Hollywood coming back in if some more of that stuff were brought back in but we'll see how it goes and I will just throw in there a great movie ride update would not be you know the worst thing that could possibly happen don't as long as they don't mess it up <laughs> <laughs> don't take away my munchkins <laughs> are you talking about me well, it, that speaks to something interesting is you know <laughs> when you speculate um, about things you know there are so many licensing agreements in place that we don't know the details of uh, with the MGM sort of moniker going away, you know, at what point does Disney even lose rights to the Wizard of Oz or Alien or Tarzan or whatever? Like a lot of these properties, you know, whatever the details were, was it a 20-year agreement? Was it a 25-year agreement? So there's going to be change that might even be forced, not necessarily, you know, just arbitrary. And you, you wonder with Toy Story Mania coming in, which is great, but with all the Pixar slash Disney property that's there. And we are seeing an explosion of it all over the place with Nemo and Toy Story and Buzz Lightyear. If we're going to see more and more of that, maybe it becomes Toy Story Park or you know something more, or there's a lot more Pixar uh, characters and, and movie references and that sort of thing. But. Well, the question too becomes, and this is something people have talked about for a long time, is relevance and, and relevance of some of the films in there. And I think you can make an argument for some of the very, very early classic films that help define you know movie making today as opposed to some of the ones in the middle that kids might not know you know about Tarzan they might not aliens to some people might be you know what their dad used to watch you know in, in the in the 80s as opposed to introducing something maybe in those areas but Tim I agree with you specifically about Wizard of Oz it's something it's such you know it's so almost in, in, embedded and ingrained in us that you couldn't take Wizard of Oz away yeah, it's also curious, I guess we'll see the response to, with, with the Harry Potter park opening nearby, but how that will affect, if anything, will affect the movie park at Disney. And, uh, so, we'll, lots of things to speculate on. I agree, and I, I will just say for the record, I don't think Disney is going to have to do something to necessarily compete with Harry Potter Park. Um, I, don't think they're gonna, I don't think there's a panic mode. I don't think there's a search for that gatebuster attraction to compete with that land. I don't think that's what Pixar Place is going to do. Disney is Disney, and that Harry Potter land is going to appeal to a relatively, I don't want to say small, because it is so big, but um, it's not going to have that same kind of appeal, I think, that Disney does. Universal and, and Disney are just so completely different in the guests that they attract and the experiences that they provide. So I, for one, am not right. all that concerned. Now, it's just curious, because obviously the park will go through some sort of metamorphosis next year see what direction it goes either on its own or in response to something else which I agree with you I don't think it would respond to anything or Disney would respond to something as opposed to initiating but um, but it is curious to see where it went up. and I can't wait for Toy Story Mania to open up so. I agree with I'm you pra- I'm practicing on Buzz Lightyear as much as I can <laughs> <laughs> but you know speaking of announcements I think there were specifically two other announcements that we could hit maybe one at a time that were not in the theme parks, but were important to Walt Disney World. One of them is in the resorts, and that was the announcement of 
the Animal Kingdom Lodge Villas, which for DVC owners or potential DVC owners was a huge announcement. And the anticipation for the Animal Kingdom Lodge Villas has been almost unprecedented. And the other was the announcement of the two new ships for the Disney Cruise Line fleet. And I include that here because it is Walt Disney World related because so many people have a land sea vacation or will spend a couple of days before or after a cruise in Walt Disney World. And it is kind of an integral part of a Walt Disney World vacation. So, Jeff, what do you say you hit first, um, you know, those two announcements and then Tim, go ahead. Uh, I think that the Animal Kingdom Lodge, yeah, was very, very big. And it was interesting because it had, I think, some unexpected fallout. Uh, we, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, that the construction was a little more intense than they thought it was going to be. So they were having to relocate a lot of guests, uh, give them offers of different places, mainly Saratoga Springs. So that was an interesting little thing there. But, yeah, the, the other aspect of that that I thought that was really interesting was as big as the announcement for the Animal Kingdom villas were was the lack of an announcement for a building that is under construction at this very moment as you drive or as you ride the monorail past the contemporary resort they're clearly building the tower there that has been on again off again you know assumed to be a uh dvc and which i think the latest rumors are pretty much it's it's pretty much a slam dunk that it is going to be dvc but i guess they're waiting to not really announce that until they've sold animal kingdom but uh, just the fact that they're building this building and won't really tell anybody about it is kind of interesting. Well, I know you guys haven't cruised before, but I've been on two Disney cruises, and I think they're absolutely spectacular. And they, Disney has found a way to take that quote-unquote magic out of the parks and bring it onto a three, four, or seven-night and sometimes 14-night cruise. And they announced in February that they're going to add two new ships to the line in 2011 and 2012, respectively. Um, they're being built in Germany. They're going to be two decks taller than what we have now. Um, there's going to have a, about 1,250, I think, staterooms in each. And it really is a is a great thing because it does add on to either the beginning or end of a Disney vacation. And you want to talk about what they're able to do by, like I said, bringing that magic and giving you this all-inclusive experience no matter where you go. And Castaway Key is just exceptional. Um, I think it's something exciting. And I think for people who are cruisers or guys like you who maybe haven't cruised yet, this might say give you a point in time to say, hey, you know what? Maybe when these new ships come out, maybe this is what we need to do. You know, look at these new itineraries that they're hopefully going to announce later on this year. And, and this is what... Um, you know, this, this is what we can do as far as taking our first Disney cruise. But I think um, for me, you know, we talked at the beginning some of the things that came to mind right away. And for me, there was one thing that came to mind instantly, and it's sort of a, a broad thing in and of itself. It's not a single attraction. It's not a single moment. But I think it's the year of a million dreams. And I know it's something that's been criticized by some people uh, for a variety of reasons, many of which I believe are unfounded. Um, I don't think you can, can complain if you're going to get something for free, whether it's a pin, whether it's a lanyard, whether it's just a magical moment certificate or a, a cookie like that my daughter got the last time we were down. Uh, it kicked off with something that I saw on TV and I saw online, which was that family from uh, Michigan getting introduced onto Main Street USA and having thousands of cast members come out. And it's something that I have to tell you, it got me choked up and brought a literal tear to my eye because I couldn't imagine what those people must be feeling like. And they, Disney is able to recreate that moment 
not in such a grand scale, but every day for people by giving away some of these little dreams or giving away a golden fast pass or a night in Cinderella Castle. I mean, how can you, you know, possibly argue with that not being something spectacular and creating a moment and creating a memory that will truly last a lifetime? I mean, these are experiences that money cannot buy. And, you know, we talk about dreams coming true, but that's what it is. And for that little girl that gets to stay or that 39-year-old podcaster who's so desperately trying to stay in the castle, I I mean, I couldn't imagine what that must be like. I want a lanyard. (laughs) How's that? But you know what? You didn't say, oh, gee, I only want a lanyard. Did you? I mean, I hope oh, I was so excited. I, I ran around. It was an Epcot, of course. I ran around. I was so excited. I wore it at Mouse Fest. I loaded up all my buttons on it. But no, I didn't get the uh, Night in the Castle. I didn't get the Golden Fast Pass. But uh, but it is it is a wonderful thing. I, I've met many people who have won things from uh, you know a lanyard or a Golden Fast Pass to being the honorary family in a parade. And and you just the smile on their face and the the magic that they got from that experience it, it it obviously means a lot to them and i think i think it is a wonderful thing that's going on and i actually saw somebody riding around in a in a scooter and they had a sign on the hanging on their basket please pick me to spend the night in the castle <laughs> i don't think it worked and i don't know if i'd recommend that for everybody to do but but you can say it's it gets everybody excited and um getting that you know that little gift is uh it's a little piece of magic. It's fun. I'm glad I won my lanyard. I'm so excited. I'm just hoping for more. Jeff, what do you think? I think I think that what's really, really important too is that in speaking to not only guests but cast members as well is that it beyond it being a marketing tool, which it is. I mean, we're not going to you know be, be realistic about it. But it really has energized the cast members. Uh, there's so many cast members that I've spoken to that just just love the whole thing. They love being able to go out and just give things away or give people their dreams and doing it in in either small ways or, or the big ways. But they're 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 basically they've been empowered to not do things that don't even involve the actual you know giving away of the, the actual official prizes. Um, when we were chosen as the family of the day on Epcot, uh, we talked to the two um, Dream Squad members who were there with us at that particular moment. And these guys were so fired up. They were so excited and they truly loved what they were doing. And when you have people going out and just taking that very seriously, but at the same time, just communicating so much enthusiasm to what they're doing, it, it's really great. And I think one of the things that I think people don't realize is what when Tim was just talking and he was saying, "Oh, I've known I've known so many people that have got stuff or won stuff." That's the same for me, and I know I think that's the same for you as well, Lou. So, this is a very far-reaching promotion. It reaches a lot of people, a lot more than I think people give it credit for. Whether it's the simple thing of giving out Dream Fast passes, or in a case where my son walked up to uh, the the um, one souvenir stand in Frontierland and he came walking back with two bags of cotton candy, uh, one for him and one for his brother. Those things just are happening all over the place, and they're happening to so many people. And it's just, it's just, a, it's it's a really feel good feeling. And I think it just extends beyond the marketing promotion. It makes the morale of the cast members go up. It makes the guests happy. It, it, it there's so many things on so many levels that, that this promotion has done that I don't think really gets fair acknowledgement. Yeah, I think the last couple of times I've been down there, speaking of giving empowerment to the cast members, of course the cast members have 
always been wonderful from day one, as everybody knows. But I, I know the last couple of times I've been down there, uh, it, it just seems, the year of Million Dreams aside, just the interactions with the cast members, it seems to have been a little bit extra. I've, I've, I've had so many go out of their way to do special things for me and my family when they were down there. Um, and if that's a byproduct of the year of a million dreams, and then that's a wonderful thing because uh, they've always been wonderful, of course. But I just sense a little, little extra magic the last couple times I've been down there, and it's a great thing. I agree with you, and I think it's the intangible, those things that we're talking about that you can't touch, that you can't necessarily feel or see. But it's what those cast members are doing, and I know people who are on the Dream Squad, and I envy those people because above and beyond all the cast members. Their, their job is just to make people happy and they walk around doing little things to enhance the guest experience and I as a guest I'm not jealous if I see somebody else win something I'm so happy for those people and I'm happy for the woman at Mousefest that, that came to Mousefest that won the night in the castle and I wasn't envious of the fact that or a little envious of the fact that it wasn't me but I was so happy for her and I think it really does enhance our experience as a guest and I think it also enhances what the cast members, like you said, Jeff, are, are empowered to do. Um, and, and as we know, we're going to talk about this when we look forward to 2008, but it's been extended. And what's coming in the, in the next year, I think, is even better than what they've done in 2007. But they're going to build on that, that, that thing that you were talking about, Tim, that, that little something extra that you just can't put your finger on, but you can kind of feel as air. It's palpable when you go. But real quickly, the Year of Million Dreams brought us two other things, and these actually were attractions. One was the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor in Tomorrowland, and the other was Finding Nemo the Musical in Disney's Animal Kingdom. And I admittedly was very skeptical when I heard about this, about how are they going to bring a non-musical show to life, number one, and then why are they going to put it in Disney's Animal Kingdom? And the moment I saw it, and again, got that choked-up feeling... I mean, they totally hit the mark with this, and I think it is undoubtedly one of, if not the best shows anywhere on property. Yeah, I had the good fortune of seeing it last year, and I uh, got to go backstage and take a little tour. And uh, the show itself, of course, was amazing, but uh, seeing all the behind-the-scenes action was pretty cool, too. But um, it, it, it's a really nice show. Again, I'm kind of confused why it's in Dino Land, but that's me. Now, is that a problem? Let me ask you something. Is that a, is it, does it bother you that Nemo the Musicals and Dino Land in Disney's Animal Kingdom? Well, Tarzan Rocks didn't make a whole lot of sense there in that <laughs> theme anyway. Um, no, it, I, I kind of look at that area as kind of a, an area unto itself anyway. Not really part of Dino Land necessarily, not part of Asia, but but kind of a, an oasis in the, in the woods somewhere. So it doesn't bother me so much, but... Um, would it make more sense in another park, maybe? But If you could pick it up and move it someplace that you think is more logical, where would it be? Well, probably the Magic Kingdom would make the most sense. Um, Fantasyland? Already... Why not? <laughs> well, it would make sense. I mean, we had the Lion King there, so it probably makes sense there. Um, uh, or, you know, maybe more over on Camp Minnie Mickey side of things. Versus Dinoland, but like I said, I don't, I don't really consider it a part of that, so it, it doesn't bother me a whole lot. But, um, but it was outstanding. Anyway, it was really neat to go behind the scenes and, and see all the costumes, and props, and so forth. But Jeff, you've seen the show? 
Yeah, I actually, I was very fortunate. Uh, when it was in previews, I literally, I think, saw the second show. There was uh, the very first day they were previewing it was we happened to be in Animal Kingdom, and I was I was really lucky to see it, and I thought it was spectacular. I really, really enjoyed it. And like you, Lou, I kind of went in with a kind of not sure what to expect because clearly it wasn't a musical, um, and the music was very good. And I, I really enjoyed how the fact that they integrated um, the song the, the, in the Big Blue World um, in both that and in the uh, Nemo and Friends attraction at the seas. And it's it's a, there. It, there's not so much, quite as much of a disconnect there with Animal Kingdom, but I, I thought, you know, wow, it would have been a good fit for a Pixar place in the studios, and it wouldn't have been too far away for the old, where the old Hunchback of Notre Dame Theater was, you know, in MGM. Um, but it, it's it's not it's not out of place certainly in Animal Kingdom. So, I think it was just the, the one-two punch of that, and the, the Seas with Nemo and Friends going in that kind of put a, a few people off here and there, but the show in and of itself is just is, is great, as you said. Yeah, a lot of people say we found Nemo already. We don't have to keep looking for him. We already found him. So. Well, I think I think the show, I think the theater is beautiful, and the show is amazing, and the music, you know, is is evocative. I, I mean, I, there's something about it that's not only catchy tunes, but you know, as a parent, there there was something that that continues to strike me whenever I see it. And I think on a more grander scale, forgetting the location, forgetting bringing Pixar characters into Disney, whatever. I think it gave Disney's Animal Kingdom a little sort of a little boost, kind of the the post Everest, you know, fanfare had kind of died down a little bit, and this kind of brought something else to that park. And now, you know, hopefully, we're starting to get away from that half day moniker and the not a zoo moniker of what Disney's Animal Kingdom is. And there's now really a lot more there for everyone to do. There's the thrill ride, quote unquote, for people who like Everest. There's the show, there's the connection for kids to characters like Nemo. And I think it, it actually, in the long run, is a great addition to the park. And I, th- I think you made a good point there, Lou, is that not even, I hadn't really even been considering that, but very likely when, when they sat down and were actually considering this show, that was probably the reason why it didn't necessarily go to the Magic Kingdom or go to the studios, because they might have very directly wanted it to to give the Animal Kingdom that boost you're talking about. Yeah, before we get to some of the other little, um, I don't want to call them ancillary things, but some of the other things on, on the list, there was something else I wanted to make reference to, and it wasn't really an official Disney event. It wasn't something, that, in one instance, that even took place in Disney. But those are special events like Magic Meets and the recent Mouse Fest 2007. And I mention it because... Both of you guys were there, and I know for me and a lot of other Disney fans, especially people in the online community, it really is a highlight of the year. And I know for me personally, to be able to see old friends and make new ones and put faces to names that I only knew from emails or voicemails is really a thrill for me. And like the Mega Mouse Meet was one of the best times I've ever had in Walt Disney World. And it wasn't about selling books or giving away stuff or anything like that. It was about getting to meet people that come over and take the time to say that they listen to the show or just wanted to say hi. And, you know, believe it or not, it sounds silly, but that's like why I made a conscious choice not to stand behind my table, but to stand in front of it because I wanted to be able to get close to people and shake their hands and hug some of these people that I've corresponded with uh, so many times before. And 
I'm sure you guys have to feel to a certain degree to be able to, you know, share our, our love of what we do means so much to us. And, you know, I like that's why I didn't want like the table in between. I wanted to be able to to meet these people and talk to these people. And same thing at Magic Meets. Like they're just both such such fun and a chance for all of us Disney freaks and geeks to kind of get together <laughs> uh, even outside the park and, and enjoy just talking about and meeting people that that share that same passion. Well, the magic part for me at the meets is meeting the kids. Um, as you know, I've the my main thing is the guide to the magic for kids book. And um, I know in putting that together, I always kind of felt the kids, obviously a huge audience and a, and a big part of what Disney's all about, but curiously overlooked in a lot of places. And um, having the book for the kids and the, and the activities for the kids is something I, I really enjoy doing. And at, at Mouse Fest, it, it's where it really all comes together. I'm not just, you know, in the basement fulfilling orders and emails and all that. I, I got to actually have meets in uh, Epcot in the Magic Kingdom with the kids and their parents. And as we walked around and played games and had fun, just, just seeing the smiles on their faces and you know, was something I'll never forget. And I'm just, I'm constantly amazed at how much the kids know. And I try and point out some things to them. And by the end of the meet, they're pointing out things to me. And, uh, did you know that there's a hidden Mickey and the blah, blah, blah. And then, and they're just, the, the, you can see in their eyes that when they know these things and, and they get to experience it, um, they, they feel so good about themselves. We're having such a good time. And to me, that's what it's all about. And being at mouse fest and at magic meets is, it's really great because I get to see all the kids face to face and talk with them, and it's it's a wonderful time. I think what's really what was amazing for me, Lou, um, was with the Disney online community being someone who just kind of jumped into it, you know, shortly after this time last year, was with the internet and even to some extent within the Disney community before. There's a there's some underlying negativity and. And a lot of people associated that just with the general kind of atmosphere of forums and, and the internet and such. And the two very significant things that I noticed in 2007 were, and you know, this is going to sound a little bit egotistical on my part, but blogging came into vogue much in the way that podcasting um, came in a couple years ago. Blogging kind of just exploded in the past year. Um, and there's so many Disney related blogs out there and bloggers that formed kind of almost, almost the ad hoc community that kind of happened in the early days of Disney podcasting and, and then taken overall, the thing that just amazed me, you know, with working with you on the podcast and then going to uh, magic meets over the summer and then ultimately mouse fest was this real groundswell of positivity in the Disney community. There was just this real overwhelming sense of community, but of a positive community, not a community that's always griping and moaning or complaining, uh, a community that made something like the Epcot 25th, which could certainly have just spun out negatively in a terrible, terrible way against Disney, spun it in a positive way to where something very, very great happened. And I think that that's what's really amazed me is just how this community, and it just, it really came together at Mouse Fest because everybody was just happy. I mean, I never felt so much warmth, genuineness, sincerity, happiness, just this real sense of a community that really really enjoys itself and really enjoys being together and it just it was such a feeling of camaraderie and and as, as i said positivity is the best word to put on 
put on it is just there wasn't people complaining. There wasn't people walking away being disappointed. It was just it was really an amazing thing. I agree with you, and I think you, you both kind of summed it up um, very well. Especially Jeff, when you talked about community. But uh, before we look forward to 2008, um, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of the other things in 2007 that were relatively minor but important. Nonetheless, and I'll just kind of go through the list. And if you guys want to touch on anything as I go through, feel free. Uh, we received in World Showcase two new restaurants in Italy and Japan. We got Tutto Italia as well as Teppan Edo and Tokyo Dining. Uh, we also got the new O Canada film. We got the Grand Fiesta Tour, much to Jeff's pleasure, uh, because everything revolves around the Three Caballeros. We got some more announcements. We got the DVC Resort coming to Hawaii, and for DVC owners or potential owners in Walt Disney World, this is something exciting because now they have another destination beyond the theme parks, and I think that's going to be the beginning of a trend that we're going to start to see. We also had the announcement of the Four Seasons Hotel. Again, Much to the delight and chagrin of other people, Um, that's scheduled to open in 2010. I think that's something that's very exciting. I don't think it's a a bad thing. I think Disney is now going to be able to compete with some of those, and I don't hate to use the word compete, but with some of the other other flagship true four-star resorts. Uh, On the other hand, we also have the announcement of Western Way, now known as Flamingo Crossings. You have 450 acres there that's going to have shopping and dining and some more affordable options as far as lodging is concerned. So we got some things that are in place now and things that are coming in the future that, that kind of took place in 2007. And that's why I said that I really think we are paying witness to a very historic time, especially here at Walt Disney World. Now, speaking of Monsters, Inc., Lou, we did gloss <laughs> over the comedy club if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> You know, I was just about to mention Monsters, Inc. Um, I wanted to really save the best for last. Oh, okay. I don't know. Well, what did you think? I got to see it actually for the first time myself not too long ago. And I admit, I was a little skeptical going into it because um, I'd heard mixed things about it. Um, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was funny. I'm just glad they did not pick on me and put me up on the screen. But um, but I've only done it a few times. I'm not, I'm not sure I have my opinion fully formed yet but i'm curious to hear what you guys think about it i I saw it during previews and then i saw it once or twice afterwards i saw it again uh probably i think i saw it actually during mouse fest uh because my wife hadn't seen it and i think that was you that was up on the screen no 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 not. (laughs) i get picked on enough believe me um (laughs) i think monsters inc is is an attraction in and of itself kind of off on its own because it tries to do something that no other attraction does and that's try and win over a broad demographic of both kids and adults and it relies very much on the people backstage not to ruin the magic for anybody and it also has to have somewhat of a repeatability factor so you now have you can't keep repeating the same jokes it's not a the country bear jamboree where it's the same show they've got to be able to you know make that something that people are going to come back to every single time they visit, be funny and entertaining for kids as well as be entertaining for the adults as well. I think they do it. Um, I, I don't think it may have performed where Disney had hoped it would, but I also think this is a, an attraction that because of the technology that they use has the potential to improve and grow and get better over time. I kind of I think it's going to be short-term, and I don't mean short-term in the sense that it's going to be gone next year. 
I, I don't see the attraction, you know, going on 10 or 15 years. Um, it's I couldn't say that it's one of my favorite attractions, and I can't say that it's it's one of those ones that I've just got to go to when I rush into the park. But the one thing that is very significant to me, and I've seen it probably three or four times, is that kids absolutely love this attraction. I have never seen an audience where the kids are just so all about the attraction. Um, my sons just absolutely ate it up, and I thought they were going to be jaded enough that they would might have thought it was too corny or too silly. And how, well, just real quick, was, how old are your kids? Um, 14 and 10. Okay. And, you know, the 14-year-old, yeah, but even he was kind of, you know, he didn't walk out of the theater saying it was terrible. He, he, he kind of came out smiling and enjoying it. The 10-year-old thought it was awesome. And that's just what's been really amazing to me is every time I've seen it, just the, it's like Turtle Talk with Crush. The kids are just beside themselves with how much they like it. And I think the magic is there for them in that, that the sense of there's no sense of disbelief about the technology or what's making it. To them, I think these characters are very, very real and they're talking directly to them. And I think as adults, we don't necessarily grasp that aspect of it. But from a child's point of view, this is one of the most amazing things that's happened at Disney World, this and Turtle Talk, because you have characters that are talking directly to them. They're saying their names to them. And I think, you know, the way Turtle, um, the way Crush interacts with them in Turtle Talk and the way the monsters interact with them here, that is such a direct connection that I think to kids, it's just it's, it's just a magical, magical thing. And I think maybe as adults, we kind of underappreciate that a little bit. I'm curious what you guys think about that. The one thing I thought of when Monsters, Inc. came about and, and the Seas with Nemo came about and Toy Story comes out is that there, there does seem an awful lot of emphasis on, on Disney slash Pixar property to use as, a, as the inspiration behind new attractions. And I was curious because one of the things I always admired about Disney before is a, a lot of the attractions that we've come to love and, and cherish aren't based on anything in particular, like the Haunted Mansion and, and, and parts of the Caribbean and so forth. They're original unto themselves. And it is curious, a lot of the new things are just based on other things. And Tomorrowland has now become the home of Stitch and Buzz Lightyear and Mike Wazowski and, and all these other people. Um, not, not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't really bother me. But and going back to our talk about the Hollywood studios, it's that same kind of idea. Is it going to morph into a, a character thing versus a just the basic Disney thing where it was just concepts in of Disney in of itself. I don't know what you guys thought about that. Well, I think you I both... Think I, think, the, go ahead, Luke. I, I think you both actually make a good point in that, Jeff, I think, that, you know, when we were kids, maybe attractions that uh, maybe our parents didn't like all that much were ones that drove us crazy. And Tim, to your point, you know, that's true to a certain degree and it's not. You know, to this day, Peter Pan's flight... Is still one of my favorite attractions. Sure. And Snow White. Right. And they were based on, you know, I mean, they're the perennial classic films, but for us, those are things that we grew up on, much like this new generation of kids. This is what they're growing up on. Like like it or not, this is what they're going to remember as their childhood memories. And and I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing it. And we as as purists and adults and people that remember Walt Disney World from the 1970s might say, well, no, you're taking away you know, these classic things. We have to understand it's just that, that continuing growth and progression. And, and Disney World is, is not a museum. And this is, fortunately right. or unfortunately, what is going to have to come into a certain degree. Right. And that being said, Everest came about new. And that was, of course, an original 
concept too. And don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Pixar fan. I love every one of the movies. We just watched Ratatouille last night, and I almost cried again. So, uh, to me, it's a good thing. I, j- I was just noticing that everything new is, is coming out that way. It could be I a good thing. Your, I'm not sure. I think to your point, Tim. I think that what's interesting is, and not being anywhere near being inside the company, I, I would still speculate that I think in the last few years, going back maybe five, ten years. I think what has happened, though, is oftentimes when the company has a success and the company has been known for decades about how it applies synergy to its properties, I think in cases like Pixar, where you had something as enormously successful as Nemo, I think they came about it from the standpoint of how do we get Nemo into the theme parks? I don't think they went about it from the standpoint of what would be the next good fit for Animal Kingdom or what would be the next good attraction for the studios i think it was more okay we've got these hot properties we got to work them in somewhere and i think good or bad i mean uh, people people have very mixed opinions on 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 that type of kind of management you know it's what we have but i think that's really why these these properties are out there and and so i mean we we saw stitch turn up everywhere over the course of three or four years and i think that it was it was just a matter of okay how do we work stitch into the park the result is stitches great escape um stitch all loose, over the loose favorite attraction loose favorite attraction <laughs> yes but I, I think it's that's where it just comes down to simple marketing and synergy um but you know as you said when i when i've had you made a good point is when i've had this discussion with people expedition everest is the thing that i bring up like look there there you have it they're not, they right. haven't abandoned that type of imagineering yeah. now if i can if i can take a ride on Tomater in the Tomorrowland Indy Speedway. That'll be fine with me. So they can go ahead and do that. <laughs> well, you know what? That that actually is a, a good maybe time to transition to not what happened in 2007, but what's next for 2008. And I, I've been saying this. I, I think this is such an exciting time for the company. And I think 2008 is going to be even bigger and better. And I want to know what maybe some of the things you guys are most looking forward to. And I'll just mention a few things, and, and again, we can talk about them as we hit them, or Tim, obviously, as I miss them, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> things like Toy Story Mania, and again, gets criticism sometimes, but this is something I'm very excited to see because, again, we're talking about this living character initiative. We're talking about the interactivity of the parks and the attractions, and the parks, I've said it before, aren't things that you walk through or look at. They're things that you need to experience. And Toy Story Mania might just be the first of the next steps of doing that. And continuing on lines with other attractions, we've got the grand opening of Spaceship Earth. We've got potentially what's been rumored as a Star Tours 2.0 coming. We've got what I assume will be another announcement of the DVC resort over at the Contemporary. The Year of a Million Dreams is continuing with the Disney Dreams catalog of even bigger and better prizes to be awarded, prizes that you just could not buy. Or you could be an Imagineer for a day or spend a night inside Walt Disney's suite or just do so many different things. And I think there's so much to be excited for in 2008. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to Spaceship Earth myself and see what happens to it. That That is probably my all-time favorite attraction with the Haunted Mansion and a couple other things. But uh, so far what I've seen looks promising, and, and I hope it stays that way. The good news is that, at least for me, for Spaceship Earth, it didn't turn into a totally different thing. It didn't. It's not turning into a roller coaster. It's not turning into a thrill ride that I won't be able to go on, like Mission Space. Um <laughs> 
even though I can go on the chicken ride and that works for me. But but I but I am looking forward to see how that's going to come out and, and I'm glad it's pretty much going to keep the same philosophy behind it and what it's all about. So and Toy Story Mania, I'm really excited about the whole Mickey Avenue Mickey Avenue area back there always seemed kind of a dead spot in the park with things coming and going all the time and hopefully this will revitalize that and give people another place to head for en masse besides the end of Sunset Boulevard which everyone likes to make a beeline for so that's good Jeff? What I'm most excited about is you know I am excited about Toy Story Mania I'm excited about the changes that we know about but I'm really more excited about what we don't know but with is possibly going to be announced or where things look like they're going to go. Um, what has really, really been significant for me the last few months is hearing um, Bob Iger talk. Um, Bob, he's made a, a few speeches before brokerage conferences, things like that. And this is, again, these are financial conferences, but the things that he's saying to these folks are creative assets. He's very much focused on the company's creative, creative assets. And what's significant is that he's willing to spend money. He's willing to dump a lot of money into California Adventure to get it fixed. He's willing to not do attractions on the cheap, not do things that are just quick fixes. Um, and we began to see indications of that this year. We saw it with the Haunted Mansion. We're seeing it with Spaceship Earth. Um, what's significant about Spaceship Earth is in what they did in um, Spaceship Earth, they went ahead and totally revitalized the you know audio animatronics. I mean, truly, truly upgraded them. And that was something they didn't necessarily need to do, but they did it. And it's to me, that's very, very significant. And I think seeing that the direction that they're going to take California Adventure is something that bodes very well for Walt Disney World. And I'm I'm really excited about how the studios is going to change, how Star Tours, the Pixar area, things like that are going to change. And more significantly, we keep hearing rumblings about e-tickets for the Magic Kingdom, especially in Tomorrowland, as your rumor mill indicates. It's, it seems like it's a very exciting time because the company it seems to be really getting back to creating quality, quality, high-ticket type of things rather than just kind of do quick fixes and quick kind of throw-in attractions. And I think, to me, that's what's really excited. So I'm, I'm really I'm really excited to hear your rumor mill every week, Lou, because that's, that's just where, to me, we're going to see the direction of where Disney World is truly going to go. Yeah, I echo that. I, I know back... Uh... In the early 90s, when my wife and I went all the time, it was exciting. There's a lot of new things. But I know for a time there was a sense, though, that they weren't, you know, things were getting updated, but not, you know, like quick fixes and things like that. And it's really exciting to hear what you're saying about, you know, money being poured in and creativity being at the fore. And hopefully that means a lot of, a lot of really nice things to see, not only this year, but next year and years to come. And believe me, I, more so than anybody, I love to see them being able to spend the money and open up these new attractions and refurb attractions that might not even necessarily need it, but are plussed by the Imagineers. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, I really like what we're starting to see and what I think we're going to continue to see. And I go back to the interactivity, especially for kids, because Tim, like you, I know we as adults love the park, but it's for kids. And I love seeing simple things. There's so many simple things to enjoy in Walt Disney World, and it could be things like Woody's Cowboy Camp, or the uh, pirate tutorial Captain Jack Sparrow, or the Jedi Training Jedi Academy, Training which Academy, I, you know, which, yeah. I wish I was a kid to be able to do that, and let's keep the short jokes to a minimum. And even for the teen <laughs> tween set, 
you know, Wildcat Fever is just all over the place with High School Musical, but those are these these simple, non-inexpensive attractions, because that's really what they are, that puts a smile on these kids' faces and lets them be a part of the show that we are all so heavily immersed in when we're, we're there. And I really applaud Disney for doing these kind of things. And done so well, especially the, the Jedi Training Academy, I point out, because I was down there and my nephews got to participate. And this, it was heaven. My my five-year-old nephew just spent the whole time, he looked at me going, this is my dream, this is my dream. He was so excited. And uh, Lou, judge you by your size, I do not. <laughs> just wanted to let you know. <laughs> and thank you. To, and, you know, even a silly thing like the Family Fun Day Parade. It's a throwaway parade. It cost them like 50 bucks to put this together. But you take a look on the faces of those kids and those adults when they are waving the flags or banging the cymbals or do, or they're marching down Main Street. Again, it's those simple that, – that creation of a lifetime memory – and it cost them nothing. It cost them nothing, relatively speaking, to put together. And I really, really like that aspect of the park. And we'll just move into 2008 then. So, <laughs> so while we're talking about the rest of 2008, um, what about some of the rumors? We were talking about the rumor mill and that got me thinking. What are some of the rumors that we talked about over the year that excite you? Is it possible changes to Fast Pass or the nighttime parade at Disney's Animal Kingdom, possibly called the Rivers of Light. You know, what's going to come over to the old Hunchback Theater in Disney's Hollywood Studios? Are we going to get something in World Showcase? Is it going to be a Mount Fuji roller coaster? Is it going to be a new pavilion, possibly? Is it going to be a Rhine River uh, attraction in Germany? What about that empty space where the old Adventureland Veranda restaurant is in uh, in the Magic Kingdom? Are we going to get that to Tortuga restaurant? Are we going to see animation come back to the studios um, are we going to get that new e-ticket attraction in Tomorrowland and a change to the Wonders of Life Pavilion or what about Cars Land we talked about Cars Land at the studios or Lucas Land or a Jungle Cruise update there's so much potential out there is there anything that's really kind of wetting your appetite that you'd like to see or, or would hope to see this year yeah, I think the thing that's kind of it's it's been out there, but it's sort of under the radar under some of the radar of the other rumors. But it's the thing that I always keep coming back to as being really excited about is the Nightmare Before Christmas. Is what they're going to actually do with that? There's so many ideas that have been thrown out there the last few years. You know, the hard ticket event for the studios to kind of engage a different demographic than Mickey's uh, Christmas party. There's been talk of dark rides. There's just been all kinds of scuttlebutt rolling around about that and it all seems to center around the studio so I'm, I would really really like to see something happen in that regard and the latest kind of wave of rumor seems to think that the hard ticket you know might get off the ground later this year so that's kind of one of the things I'm really keeping my eye on yeah the, uh, improvements to world showcase would, would excite me that's one of my that's my favorite place in Epcot a roller coaster actually kind of scares me actually the one thing I, I not not because it would scare me personally which it probably would but I like that world showcases is tranquil and calm and all that and I I don't know what my thoughts would be on them putting you know thrill rides or anything major back there but see how it goes um, I think I saw in your rumor mill uh, Lou that there's a something about Space Mountain being talked about probably way way off the future and just scuttlebutt but that that would be interesting to see too. That's yeah, a little old and shows its age, but I've th- heard, just don't turn me upside down. I don't. Well, you know, I've heard everything from 
minor refurbishments, um, you know, right. some some audio, some visual stuff to, again, somebody emailed and said, yeah, they're thinking about literally chopping the top off the mountain if it's at all possible from an engineering standpoint so they can literally gut it, replace the track and do something pretty spectacular that's going to keep this attraction down for a year. And while I'm not comfortable saying either way what I think is going to happen, uh, right. it's fun to talk about and it's exciting being a fan because we don't know, like you said, Jeff, what's coming next. It sounds like the Hollywood Studios is going to be the site of the most activity and the most speculation. So at this time next year, we'll see what happened there and we'll talk about what was good and what was not so good there. But I think there's a lot of exciting things in store, particularly at that part. So. I agree. And we will, we will do this next year and we will take a look back at 2008 and uh, and see what's ahead for 2009. See how wrong we were with all of our predictions and, and, and how much in the rumor mill never... Sure, it'll be very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all kind of have our own things that we do in the Disney community. And Jeff, you've got your blog. And Tim, you've got your sites and your books and your newsletter. What about you guys personally? If you had to just kind of look back at, at 2007 Disney-wise, um, what you know, when you reflect back, what are some of the things that... that you enjoyed or that were kind of memorable for you and and i guess jeff you go first and then tim kind of just an extension of what i said about the disney community um just discovering just this very friendly warm and welcoming community out there and especially through magic meets and uh, mouse fest it it put my obsession you know, this was a lonely obsession up until this point for me. Uh, you know, my family, you know, shares it. You know, my wife and my kids are big, big Disney fans. But I didn't really have a circle of friends that this extended out into. And just to go out now and just have all these friends uh, that I just didn't have a year ago, I think that's just been what's amazing to me. Uh, and it's just, it's like I said, it's positive. It's happy. We enjoy each other. And I think it's just... It's just very significant that we're a presence out there the way we are in such a positive way. Um, there's, you know, we support charities such as your, yours and Deb's charities. I mean, there's there's just so many good things that are happening with these people. And I think that was the thing that was really significant to me was that I was able to just sort of expand into more people as opposed to just Disney parks. And that was really something. Yeah, toiling away in the basement is is a rather lonely existence, as you all probably know. <laughs> That's a common thread that seems to go through all of our... <laughs> right, but, but definitely for me, even going back to Mouse Fest last year, just reaching out to not only the people in our community, online people and, and the other authors who are all wonderful, and I'm glad to know I'm not the only one that's kind of nuts about all this stuff, um, but, but just meeting people and the kids and, and, and sharing the magic. I, I kind of went into this trying to put together a guide to, to actually share the magic itself, not not the nuts and bolts of where to go and where to stay and all that stuff, but, but getting people to look at something and go, wow, I get it. That's that's not just a ride. It's not just another attraction. There's something magical about it. And I've been able to see that in, in people's faces and kids' faces and, and adults that are kids at heart, of which there are plenty of. And and that, that's really brought it all home for me last year. I agree. And, uh, you know, when you talk about things like spending time in the basement and, and working on our Disney stuff, quote unquote, until the wee hours, when I kind of start reflecting back on the past, that that's the first thing that comes to mind because I, I realize that all this, like you said, is about family and friends. And when we talk about working late in the basement, I, I could definitely not do what I do 
without the support of my family, especially my wife, and you guys have met her. She is she is just about to be canonized, I believe, as a saint, um, because from the late nights in the office to, you know, kind of being by my side, literally and figuratively, um, I would not be able to do what I do. And as far as friends go, I mean, getting to know guys like you and everybody else I've had a chance to meet really has been the greatest blessing for me for doing this whole Disney thing. I, I consider myself so fortunate to be able to do this and, and having met guys like you and so many other people is just, um, like you said, the, the true bonus out of all this. And it's been a very interesting year for me, um, you know, that this show started, as I'm sure you know, back in February and, and there was a lot of stuff, you know, um, going on throughout the year for me, but it afforded me the opportunity to not only meet people in the community, but you know, meet Disney legends and artists and guys whose work I've admired for so long. To be able to talk to them and meet them and, and then go look at their window on Main Street is just a, a thrill that I never thought possible. And, you know, with the audio guide and stuff coming out this year, it was really special. But more so than anything, me being able to meet people who take, you know, two or three or four hours a week to listen to the show from as far as away, like the UK and, and Netherlands and, you know, people that uh, who are stationed in places like Germany and Iraq and, Af- and Afghanistan and the Far East, um, those kind of people contacting me and t- telling me that they listen to the show there has just been, gives me such an incredible feeling. Um, I, I cannot put it into words, but um, with that being said, I think for all of us, 2008, is probably a year that we are looking forward to. There's a lot of good stuff I know that's happening. For all of us, I'm looking forward to launching my new site. I've been working on that for a year. I've got a new product coming out that I'll probably be able to announce. Um, and then in the next few weeks, it's coming out this spring. I've got a few other Disney projects I'm working on, the next in the audio guide. Um, hopefully I won't croak at the half marathon. Um, and this year, you know, in 2007 and 2008, as much as we, we talk about the community, giving back to the community, as you know, is so, so important to me. And we have raised so much money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation this year. And, and I want to thank you guys for your help and your support and everybody else. And we've got a lot of fun things planned for next year, including our uh, Celebrity Golf Invitational at <laughs> Red Winter Summerland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, and to that end, I, I thank you guys specifically because you're here as well as everybody else that's just supported me and my endeavors in the show and and it means a lot to me I need a tissue I'm I'm, I can't talk right now (laughs) I need a moment anyway um, I I mean it and guys I want to thank you for coming on and uh, taking this look back at 2007 with me again I am really excited about what is coming and what 2008 is going to hold. Um, again, assuming I survive the marathon. That being said, um, it's uh, it's an exciting time to be a Disney fan, I think, and to be a Walt Disney World fan, especially. Lou, I just want to send out a, a big thank you to you, and I just want to say, I think I probably speak for Tim as well, that the WDW Radio Show is just an amazing piece of work that you put together every week, and I'm very, very proud to be a part of it. I, I consider myself very privileged to be able to participate on a regular basis, and you do a heck of a job, and, and not only the listeners, but as participants, um, I really appreciate the amount of effort you put into it. Yeah, same goes here. I'm just so excited I can tell people, I'm on the radio, I'm on the radio. <laughs> well, the internet radio. But it, it's very exciting. Again, meet, meeting all the people, including 
Lou, of course, yourself and Jeff and everybody else is, uh, it's just very nice just because everyone's so, they're just so friendly and, uh, it's just great to meet everybody. And, and I will say in 2007, one thing I forgot to mention, but, um, my nephew went down to Disney in, in, uh, end of November, I believe on a make a wish trip with our whole family. And that was a, a, a really magical time for all of us. We all had a wonderful time, and it, it made my nephew feel so good. And like I alluded to earlier, the cast members and, and even people in the community that, that reached out to help us was uh, just having that sense of family and community and friendship and warmth is, is something you just you can't describe and you can't put a price tag on. And when it gets down to it, that's what it's really all about. Well, guys. And that's what I'll remember from 2007. I agree, because you're right. That That is what yeah. it's all about. And uh, you, you talk about magical moments and magical memories. Um, you, you definitely hit it on the head. So Jeff Pepper from 2719 Hyperion and Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com. Guys, I want to thank you not just for coming on today, but for everything that you guys have done uh, for the Disney community and for me and for all the people that enjoy your work in 2007. And I look forward to working with you guys and getting together with you guys in 2008. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Lou, and happy holidays to everybody out there. Thanks, Lou. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hello there, WDW Radio Show listeners. This is Eric Hollis from GeoMouse.com, and I am back once again for the final in our 13-part Lou Mangiello WDW Half Marathon Challenge Series. We are approaching the finish line, and it is time for challenge number 13. So what we're going to do for this challenge, we want you to think back to the previous 12 challenges that have taken place up till now. Besides Lou and myself, Name the other four individuals who contributed to the challenge. And also, name either the website or the podcast that they are associated with. Now, again, it could be either the website or the podcast they are affiliated with. There were four other individuals that helped out with our 13-part Half Marathon Challenge series. Please email those to marathon at wdwradio.com. You will have until midnight on January the 9th, 2008 to submit your answers. The winner will receive both Walt Disney World Trivia Books Volumes 1 and 2 signed by Lou Mangiello, a DisneyWorldTrivia.com t-shirt, a trading pin and lanyard courtesy of DisneyWorldTrivia.com. This week you will also receive a Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End Canvas Gisley art. The winner will also be put into the grand prize drawing, which will take place at the end of the challenge. They will also get to name mile marker number 13, so please enter your mile marker in your with your submission. And finally, geomouse.com will donate $100 to the Disney World Dream Team project. So, there you have it. Challenge number 13. Good luck, everyone. It is time to send you back to Lou Mangiello and the WDW Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
This week's show is obviously all about looking back and looking ahead, but next week we'll kick off 2008 with our regular news, rumors, vacation planning, history, trivia, interviews, and more. As you probably know by now, the Walt Disney World Half Marathon is coming up in just a couple of weeks, and I'll be taking my place at the starting line alongside many other listeners. If you're going to run or are coming down to cheer on your friends, family, or certain podcasters, come on and show your support by joining the WDW Radio Show team and wearing an official 2008 WDW Radio Show Marathon Team t-shirt. It's available now from our Cafe Press Store. I'll put the link up in the show notes in this week's episode. Also, if you are coming down, visit the WDW Radio Show forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com and let us know by signing up on the Who's Going thread. There's also going to be a post-race meet scheduled, so if you're around, I invite you to please come on by and say hello. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of my guests that have made this show possible in the past year. As I said, it's been an incredible year for me and the show since it began back in February, and each one of them has been responsible for making that possible. I also want to thank everybody that's helped support the show and worked with me to help make your Walt Disney World experience the best it could be, including my friends at the Magic for Less Travel, OrlandoFunTickets.com, Owner's Locker, all my fellow Disney podcasters and webmasters, authors, cast members, and so many other people too numerous to name here. Of course, the show would be nothing without each of you. I want to thank you again for listening and for your support. I cannot express how much this show means to me and that I'm able to do all of this thanks to you. From listening each week to your emails and voicemails and suggestions and submissions, I want to thank you for allowing me into your lives each and every week. In 2008, I want you to please continue to get involved and be a part of the show by emailing your questions, comments, and suggestions to lou at wdwradio.com. Also remember that you can be on the air simply by calling in your voicemails to 206 202 4 That's 206-202-4939. I welcome you to come and join our fun and friendly forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com and be part of our very welcoming community, which are truly the happiest forums on Earth. And with what I have planned for the DisneyWorldTrivia.com site in 2008, I promise it's going to be even bigger and better than ever. I'd also like to ask for your continuing support and help in 2008, and I want to thank you once again for all of your iTunes reviews and for helping to spread the word about the show to others. I'm very excited about what the next year is going to bring and for continuing to be able to bring you the best possible show I can each and every week. As we head into 2008, the belief is that if we can dream it, we can do it. And it holds so true and it's going to serve to guide what we do going forward. So thank you again. And until next year, I'll see ya.
Yeah.